1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Westworld, an unofficial podcast about the HBO original series, Westworld. I'm David Chen. I'm Joanna Robinson. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. What we do here on this podcast is uh, we recap every episode of HBO's Westworld. This week, we'll be recapping season one, episode seven. And I'm going to try to minimize the number of times I need to pronounce this during the course of this episode Trump Loy. Ooh. Trump Loy. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's what that we'll be. Re- great. Yeah, thanks. Uh, <laughs> that's what we'll be recapping uh, today. You can find more episodes of this podcast at decodingwestworld.com. You can also email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Uh, before we begin today, I just want to ask the question to all of our listeners Are you doing okay? Because this week has been a pretty eventful week in the United States. We elected a new president and. Whether you voted or not, whichever way you voted, uh, there's a lot of people in the country that are pretty upset, pretty hurt, and are grappling with uh, what to do right now. And a lot of those people are our listeners, and we know this because uh, a lot of people tweeted at us, they emailed us, basically just saying that they were grateful uh, to have Decoding Westworld to listen to during a pretty challenging week. Uh, Joanna, I think you experienced this as well, right?
0: Yeah, I was I was surprised, and I was also looking for comfort. Um, so I was really happy that some people were just able to find it in uh, us rambling about this HBO show. So
1: <laughs> yeah, so uh, I- if you were able to find some comfort in Decoding Westworld. Thanks for listening, and uh, we just hope you're doing okay, no matter uh, you know, which side you voted on and, and what your situation is. We hope you're doing okay, because based on the messages we got, there's a lot of people who aren't doing okay right now. Uh, Joanna, also, we got a lot of reviews in the iTunes store this week for Decoding Westworld as well, right?
0: Yeah, we did. I put up on Twitter, I put up like a couple of our one-star reviews, most of which had my name in the headline, like um some people out there in the world really don't like me and that's fine. But I just, I put out a request that if people liked the show to leave a review, people wrote a... S- just so many nice reviews and i really it was just really very lovely and thoughtful so thank you all so much
1: yeah we really appreciate it if you like this podcast it would be great if you could write a review because i'm not sure if you know this but there are uh, approximately 750 million westworld podcasts out there, <laughs> and the only way people know which one they should listen to is by reading the reviews or seeing how many star ratings i have so any reviews you can leave us on any platform would be greatly appreciated uh but yeah. Before we get to this week's episode of the show, uh, we got to talk about some follow-up. There's a few things to follow up from previous week's episodes. And uh, Chris Nichols writes in from Commerce, Texas, and uh, he wrote in actually a couple emails this week that I want to discuss. But one of the emails he wrote, uh, writes in reads as follows. He, Chris writes into to at gmail.com. It's nothing incredibly significant, but I wanted to point out that I was impressed by the showrunners' inclusion of a common video game trope, uh, whether they did so intentionally or not, that they apparently used to heighten drama for the Man in Black scenes with Teddy in episode 6, escort missions. They are the most frustrating thing in games because while I'm incredibly adept at taking care of myself since I've honed my skills over time... Escort missions require me to get a person from location A to location B without allowing them to be killed despite their incredible ineptitude toward the world around them. The man in black is fantastic at taking care of himself, but he suddenly has to keep Teddy alive and Teddy is of course not at all interested in allowing himself to be babysat, and this increases the drama for his scenes since his immortality in the game now comes with the vulnerability in survival being wrapped in that of another character's. As a gamer, I could feel for the man in black and his frustration. Something incredibly undramatic, staying alive in this gaming world that can't hurt you, becomes incredibly frustrating when you have to escort a foolhardy cowboy from location A to location B, knowing (laughs) that, despite your own immortality, they will do any and everything they can to die and keep you from getting that damn story beat or achievement. In this case, however, it allows us to finally be worried for him, since if he can't keep Teddy alive, his purpose in the game dies and he loses the game he's trying to play. Anyway, that's enough of that. Love the podcast. That email comes comes in from Chris from Commerce, Texas, and uh, Chris refers to this thing called escort missions or escort quests that is a common trope in video games. Uh, Have you ever heard of this? You you ever played a game with an escort quest, Joanna? I literally never in my life. Uh, Well, if you've played – many first-person shooter games often require you to escort uh, an an NPC, a non-player character around. That is to say someone who's like an AI – And uh, it is one of the most frustrating things ever because most often their job is to be vulnerable and possibly get killed. That's the purpose of having the escort quest. And they're often not super smart uh, in how they behave. And so they end up dying over and over again uh, if you're only an average player such as myself and uh, it can be very frustrating to get them from point A to point B and uh, very clever that they inserted that uh, video game mechanic into Westworld, which itself is kind of a, a commentary on video game design. So uh, so great email from Chris and, uh, yeah, that was a, a cool, cool call-out that I didn't recognize. Uh, speaking of things I didn't recognize, this email comes in from Trey from New Haven, Connecticut. Trey writes in to decodingwestworld at gmail.com. I wanted to point out an Easter egg in the show that I think a lot of people have missed. In episode two, when Bernard and Ford are talking in Ford's office, the host playing the piano is playing a piece of music by Claude Debussy called Reverie, which, as we know, is the name of the code which allowed for hosts to draw on old memories from past builds. At first, I thought it was just a nice Easter egg connecting to the program Ford had created, but at the beginning of episode seven, the soundtrack during Bernard's dream sequence is also the piece Reverie, except it's being played on the harp. If they hadn't revealed Bernard's status as a host in this episode, it would have been a great piece of evidence for the theory, but with the reveal, I think it makes a really subtle and clever Easter egg, which I really like. Anyway, you guys have a great show. I love listening to it. That email comes in from Trey from New Haven, Connecticut.
0: Yeah, and they kind of hit it because I think it was like episode four or five when the man in black is talking to Ford. Um, Claire DeLune is playing on the piano, another Debussy piece. So they were just like, oh, it's fine. We like Claude Debussy. It's fine. It, don't, don't pay attention to Reverie too closely. It's not a hit that Bernard's a robot. It's fine. It's fine. It's
1: great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you for all your emails. Thanks for pointing stuff out that we might have missed. Uh, we welcome them at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. And uh, we read, collectively, we read all of them, but it is an overwhelming level <laughs> of emails. I think we got uh, 80 to 90 emails in the last week, so just a lot of stuff to go through. Uh, we can't always get to them, but we appreciate everyone writing in. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention. Uh, someone wrote in uh, – they have a site called westworlddata.com or westworlddata.com, depending on how you want to pronounce it, uh, which has data visualizations for a, a lot of the scenes from Westworld. And Joanna, you checked this site out, right? And you, you found some uh, some interesting statistics at westworlddata.com, right?
0: Yeah, I was actually really interested to find out that uh, the, the top three characters with most lines in the show are actually men. Not the one Like I think of this as a very like sort of female forward show, but it's Ford, Bernard, and Man in Black thus far. Seven episodes in, it's Ford number one. Like we know that Anthony Hopkins drones on and on. Bernard, uh, and then yeah, Man in Black, and then Teresa's like the the character with the fourth most lines so far in the season. Um, you know, Dolores and Maeve and the rest are down are way down there. So, like Ford has double what Elsie has. Like and she's. You know, this, anyway, it's it's interesting and it's fun. I like charts and graphs. So if you like sort of visualization of data, it's it's a really fun site. So I was just poking around.
1: Yeah, uh, cool site. Thanks for uh, for those who sent that in. What's westworlddata.com? I think that's all the follow up we have, Joanna. So why don't we dive into this week's episode, season one, episode seven, Trump Loy. Of course, you can always write to us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. You can also get episodes of this podcast at decodingwestworld.com. Joanna Robinson, this week we saw a person who had been advocating a crazy crackpot theory for months get entirely vindicated to the shame of people who thought this person was absolutely insane. But enough Uh, about Michael Moore and the uh, election, Joanna Robinson. Let's get to the episode (laughs) and your theories, which have been proven completely correct.
0: As I told Dave earlier today, a broken clock, Joanna Robinson and Michael Moore can all be right two times a day. like (laughs) (laughs) Don't consider us like your new prophets of whatever. Yeah.
1: So Michael Moore, for those who don't know, correctly (laughs) called the results of the election months ago. And now everyone is looking to him. To guide us, what's going? What's happened? What happens next? The oracular Michael Moore, please help us. Please uh, be
0: the next, Nate Silver, since Nate Silver is now so thoroughly disgraced.
1: for Nate. <laughs> I don't actually. I don't actually think Nate Silver is that disgraced. I mean, he no, gave percentage I, chances, but yes. I think
0: some people think he is. I. I am not. All I All I will tell you is on election night, and I swear we're not going to talk too much about the election, but on election night, I was expecting a party in the street in San Francisco. Obviously, that didn't happen. All the Democrats were like sulkily inside, like crying or being upset or whatever, uh, except for one guy went out on the street and screamed like – God damn it, Nate Silver.
1: He, <laughs> He's like, power for good. <laughs> on his knees looking to the sky, Nate Silver. Nate Silver.
0: Yeah, exactly. So. Which,
1: by the way, is uh, how I express myself about Westworld theories these days. I just get on my knees on the street and go, Joanna Robinson. Whenever one of her theories is proven correct. So anyway, let's get to the episode. <laughs> uh, let's save the Bernard conversation for last because I have a feeling we're going to have a lot to say about it. Uh, but, uh, let's start with what's going on this episode with, uh, Maeve, right? I think this is the, one of the most self-contained storylines, uh, Maeve and William Dolores, are pretty self-contained this week. So we see Maeve, she's in the Mariposa this week and the player piano shuts down. Everyone freezes and they come, uh, the texts come and they grab Clementine out from under her. Uh, Maeve gets herself killed again and somehow convinces Felix to smuggle her upstairs, uh, so that she can see what's going on with Clementine. And then Maeve later on resolves to get the hell out of this whole situation. Uh, we should also point out that Clementine is used in a, uh, unconvincing demonstration of how reveries are causing the hosts to, uh, go all out of whack and, and kill, uh, potentially other hosts or people. So, uh, Any thoughts on this Maeve storyline this week? It felt a little bit rickety to me. What do you think?
0: Um, I don't know if it felt rickety. It felt like, you know, they had a very small sliver of the episode to devote to her since there was a lot of other things to do. And she got the lion's share of some previous episodes. Um, Tandy Newton, I just want to express again how much... Silent, powerful face acting Tandy is doing this season. Um, the actress who plays Maeve, both in that, in the Mariposa scene when she has to pretend to be frozen. Um, and so you just see her register like fear and confusion and anger all, all just on a frozen, semi frozen face. Um, and then also when she's watching Clementine and um, she has to, or Clementine, sorry, and she has to, you know, pretend that she's a host and not feeling the feelings that she's feeling. Um, I will say, you know, we talked a lot about the plausibilities of, Ma- of Maeve's plotline last season and in- or last week in terms of blackmailing Felix and Sylvester. Uh, we have a lot of people disagree with our uh, concerns. That's fine, but you have to admit that in this this episode, she and Felix are just straight up standing outside that demo room, standing, staring. Uh, Bernard comes up and just walks right past them and it's not like they're a door he's not supposed to see like they're just standing right there and he's just like oh that's fine I'm going to go in and talk to Teresa now so like uh, it's it's just I will say it's not their, their blackest of ops and if they have like a suicide mission coming up for her to get out of the park uh, they need to be smarter about it.
1: I So I think there are just a few logical inconsistencies to me Uh, like the kind that you describe of her just standing there completely uh, not knowing what's going... you know, with no one paying her any mind. Firstly, we've already seen in Westworld there's cameras everywhere, right? So everyone's behavior is being monitored. Even the slightest deviation gives people room for... or reason for devoting some attention to it. So the idea that when all the hosts are frozen and Maeve's still moving around and conscious during that time that no one would have noticed that feels pretty silly to me, given... That we've seen the cameras. Uh, what you describe is also uh, a concern. The fact that Maeve understands the significance of Clementine getting drilled through the nose, it, it, you know, that's the show's way of saying, hey, we're decommissioning this host. But does Maeve know that? You know, why would Maeve know that?
0: Well, her bulk abception is bumped all the way
1: up. You're so. right. So she could have just <laughs> deduced that, hey, they're decommissioning Clementine because of his nose drill, right? I
0: mean,. It- I I don't know if she could have heard she heard that crunching sound from out in the hallway but I don't know I I think it's it's a little clear or she you know she could have asked Felix off camera to explain exactly what they did to her but whatever it was it wasn't good right so yeah
1: yeah and then uh, she tells Sylvester and Felix that she has a plan to break out Uh, Sylvester is not super convinced that it's going to be successful but Maeve has already died hundreds if not thousands of times So she's cool with it. Uh, Any other thoughts on the Mace storyline before we move on, Joanna?
0: Uh, Two things. One, uh, Sylvester, I believe it's Sylvester, says this thing where he says, even the skin on your back is created to keep you here. So I don't know what security protocols are in place to keep a host on the property. Um, Like if they're triggered to self-destruct or something, you know, like who knows? Who yeah. knows, like, what protocol is within them to keep them there? Um, and then the other thing is, um, I don't remember. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, a big question for me now there were three episodes from the end of the season one, and we should say season two got picked up today. Uh, Casey Boys from HBO announced that it probably won't air until 2018. So see you guys in 2018. Um are <laughs> all quite still a wait. here yeah. um, because of the, you know, the, time it takes to produce Westworld uh, and but but I've been wondering sort of what season two will look like and you know a theory that I posited today uh, this week and I don't know if it's true this is not a theory I'm throwing a lot of weight behind is what if Maeve does escape with other hosts and next season we see hosts in the real world trying to pass you know doing something like that might be interesting I was like uh, you know uh, spoilers for the film Ex Machina But, um, you know, basically continuing on the end of Ex Machina where Alicia Vikander's um, AI escapes presumably to go to try to pass in the real world as a human, right? Right. Um, So are we going to see the characters that we know do that next season? I, I feel like the park plot is going to have to be significantly expanded next year. So that's just a question I have.
1: Yeah. Uh and Maeve's storyline does bear a lot of similarities to Ex Machina uh, right. from my perspective. So uh so yeah, it is who who knows what could happen in terms of robots escaping. I will say when I go to my local uh Japanese grocery store that uh there is a uh method that they have of locking the wheels on the shopping carts to prevent them from leaving the parking lot so people can't just run off with them. Yeah. That is a shopping mall. Uh, that, that is a grocery store. That's not uh, an, like a multi-billion dollar company. So I would imagine that they have ways of preventing uh, hosts, all this uh, incredibly expensive R&D technology, from just waltzing off. But we will see how, uh, how they execute that. Uh, I agree. It's probably not going to be super simple. And if it is super simple, then we will complain about it here on the podcast. So – what else happens this episode? Uh, a few other developments in the William and Dolores storyline. The overriding sense I got when watching this episode, season one, episode seven, Joanna, is if an episode was custom designed to prove Joanna's theories correct, like if, if I wanted to make an episode where all the, the, one of the hugest purposes of that episode was to prove Joanna correct in her theories – I don't know that I would have made it any different than this episode, <laughs> meaning the William and Dolores interaction where William is talking about uh, all the things that he wants to do, all the things that, that uh, Dolores is unlocked inside him, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it all makes it seem like he is uh, the man in black, that he will become the man in black. What did you think?
0: Yeah. Dave asked me earlier today or maybe last night if I thought this like episode confirmed that William becomes a man in black, and I, I wouldn't go so far as to say confirm. I feel like I'm like the Nate Silver of predicting things on Westworld. I'm not going to throw all of my percentage points behind this, but I think every episode it becomes so, so
1: like— So, a.k.a. you are wrong when it counts? Like, what does that mean when you say you're the Nate Silver? A.k.a.
0: you'll be cursing me in a bad way in the streets <laughs> at the end of the season. Um, no, <laughs> I am— I, you know, I just – I like to be cautious about which – so I, I, I can't see. go, really I like can't go in yeah. – I can't go in deep on every theory. Or you guys will never believe me. So I just have to pick my battles. um But I mean I, I do. I definitely think William and the Man in Black is the same person. I don't think this episode confirmed it. You know, the same way I don't think the Lawrence thing like confirmed it. I just think it's further data points. That gets get us closer to it. I think it just feel. I feel you know. Well, we said this already with the Lawrence thing, but I feel well. I guess the Lawrence thing where you know the Lawrence character disappears the Man in Black story and then shows up in William and Dolores' story. And you and I agree that we felt that meant that the burden of proof that there weren't two timelines was now on the doubters, uh, not the hopefuls. And I feel the same way about the William and Man in Black. The more we hear from William about. You know, what what the park has done to it more The more that what Lauren says in this episode to William about, I guess you got a more of a knack for this than you thought or like you're a natural born killer. I can't remember if he said natural born killer, but it's basically that, Um, y- you know, like all of that feels like the show telling us like, hey, this guy, his hat is turning from white to black in front of your eyes. Can't you see it? You know, that's that's what it seems like to me.
1: Yeah, uh, there are are two big pieces of dialogue in the train scene that uh, really convinced me that William is a man in black. Number one, he says, quote, the only thing I had when I was a kid were books. I used to live in them. I used to go to sleep dreaming I'd wake up inside of one of them because they had meaning. This place, this is like I woke up inside one of those stories. I guess I just want to find out what it means, end quote. That dialogue could have been the man in black. Do you know what I mean? It's just that close. So – Feels like they have similar goals at the very least. Another quote, uh, quote, you remember the look on Logan's face when you left him behind. Do you know how long I've wanted to do that to let him know what I think of him? And you last night, I've never felt that way before, not Mm -hmm. with any woman, end quote. Uh, Just this idea that the park is awakening things inside him that he's never felt before and that he doesn't want to leave. You know, you can understand why someone like that wouldn't want to leave, which is a sentiment that the man in black has expressed.
0: I feel so bad for William that like. He has sex with a robot and he's like, you know, of course it's going to be the best sex of your life. She's a robot trained to do this, buddy. I, I don't know. Like, um, <laughs> you know, and the more, William, the more William falls in love with her, the more like I am just like preemptively embarrassed for how he's going to be laughed at for falling in love with someone whose like memory could be erased.
1: You know. Um, let, let me ask you this question, Joanna. Let me take us on a little tangent here, if I may. I'm, I'm ready. Uh, which is, I have seen several female writers complain about the lack of women having sex with male sex bots in Westworld. At least the portions of Westworld that we see. Do you feel like there is a, an inequality there in the depiction of uh, sex with robots? Does it <laughs> does it perturb you in any way?
0: Oh, it doesn't perturb me. I think the inequality is definitely there, and I think, of course, we got Hector sort of tied up in Charlotte's bed this episode. But that—that's sort of like the, um, to use a Game of Thrones metric, the like Dario Naharis bare ass like compensation, where it's like we'll give you one for your, you know, fifteen women or whatever it is. Um, yeah, and I mean the one visitor that we saw enjoying herself uh, was happened to be a lesbian or at least bisexual and enjoyed herself with a woman. So, yeah, I think th- I think that's a fair that's a fair complaint. We would like to see more women taking advantage of the male sex bots in Westworld. Why not? But we don't have that many female guests in the park.
1: Yeah, at f- all. Fusion Fusion had this story called "So Can You Have Sex with the Dude Robots on Westworld or What?" Uh, this was written by Molly Fitzpatrick. And I when think, did she
0: publish it? Before uh, this, this week? Is,
1: yeah, this is published uh, in uh, October twenty fifth, twenty. Okay, yeah. okay. I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes, but I think uh, it, it like there's no uh, what you how you'd say male brothel in Westworld, just because that, that wouldn't be a real thing that existed back then, right? So then it's like, w- what choices do the woman have?
0: Well, right? I don't just- know. I mean. Well, you don't have to have sex with, like, a male prostitute. Like, I'm sure Hector would have sex with uh, plenty of female guest teddy, too, probably. Sure, um, sure. You know, like
1: uh, – Don't a lot of the male uh, hosts just look like, kind of gross? You know what I mean? They're, like, dirty and filthy.
0: I don't know what lens you're using to look at Rodrigo <laughs> Santoro, who plays <laughs> Hector Eschaton. Um well, This is
1: why we have both gender perspectives on the podcast, so you can <laughs> correct also- –
0: There's also the whole, like, you know, orgy in Las Muras. I would like to think that – oh, no, Pariah, sorry, in Pariah. And I'd like to think that at least some of those people were female guests enjoying themselves. So I don't
1: know. Some people in the chat room are saying, like, WTF, Dave. And I'm just saying, guys, hygiene was not super great in the frontier, okay? That's all I'm saying. I mean, Clementine's – one of her role – one of her main lines is commenting on how people have rinds on them. You know, yeah. it's gross. People are gross back then. That's all I'm saying.
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anyway, let's move on, Joanna. So okay. <laughs> what else happens in this episode? They, uh, so the uh, Dolores and William, they get held up by confer- confederados. Uh, and then they send in Slim, right, full of nitroglycerin to uh, blow them up and then escape on horseback uh, as the Ghost Nation shows up. Uh, as well,
0: you know, you brought this up a couple weeks ago when um, wondering about the rules of Westworld in terms of if the man in black wants to blow, you know, himself and Hector out of prison, he needs to get pyrotechnics approved from headquarters. Whereas we don't see anything similar to that necessarily when Lawrence, because he blows up Slim, right? I'm not misremembering that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so there's a pyrotechnic effect, but we don't see a similar like okay from behind the scenes.
1: Right, it is a host-initiated pyrotechnic effect.
0: Yeah, th- uh, yeah, that's true, and it, yeah, you're right. That's one. That's one difference. The other difference I think is thirty years. But yeah, I, I think what we're,
1: you're yeah. saying is that if the uh william and lawrence storyline is happening in the past maybe their safety standards were more lax back, back then. Right. right right maybe the bullets hurt more back then maybe logan can get imprisoned and tortured for five days uh <laughs> and that's the legitimate storyline <laughs> right you know, who knows um some people did point I, I do a weekly periscope where i talk about this just to prep for the podcast some people i think did mention that he was weeping white stuff uh, the slim when he rode out there on horseback. I'm not sure if that was the kind of milk that they're made out of or if it was just nitroglycerin.
0: Oh, I thought, uh, yeah, I thought it was supposed to be the nitro. Yeah, that, I think that,
1: that makes the most sense to me. Uh, mm-hmm. So, anyway, he blows them up. But here's a better question, Joanna Robinson is uh, so the bullets are intended to not hurt humans, but then the ghost station comes in yeah. and they're shooting arrows at people? It's a really good question. So how, how do you, the <laughs> arrows work? <laughs> how do the arrows work? Right? Yeah. Like, can yeah. arrows puncture host skin? Yeah. How does that work exactly? You know. Yeah. It's anyway. a good question. <laughs> so then, uh, Lawrence and William Dolores they stumble across the place that she painted. They head on, even though Lawrence warns them that there's danger out here. Anything else you want to say about the storyline before we move on, Joanna?
0: Well, you talked about um, escort missions and I, um, I obviously don't have the video game background to talk about this on, a, on like a technical level. But what I felt like I saw was Lawrence kind of trying to entice uh, William along on this adventure. Like they're never going to, I think, well, we have seen them occasionally force a guest on a certain path by, like, jailing them, jamming jamming their guns and jailing them or whatever. But, like, I feel like they weren't going to force William on this path, but the game really wanted William to go with Lawrence. And Lawrence kept going, like, come on, buddy, what are you going to do down there? You love killing. We're going to kill things. It's going to be great. I've seen you. You're good at it. You're going to love it. And William's like, yeah, no, I'm good. I've found out what sex, bot sex is like, so I'm going to stay here. <laughs> um, but I just, I just like that because I like seeing Lawrence sort of subtly try to sell him on this thing that he wasn't going to buy, um, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, I, I think you're, yeah, you're, you're basically describing, you know, like a game design where you try to persuade the player to go in a certain way. And of course, there's many things you can do to force the player to go a certain way. Uh, invisible walls being a big one, where, for instance, a character can try to go in a certain direction and simply be unable to continue in that direction right. uh, because of an invisible wall. But it feels like there are very few walls in Westworld. Not only that. The park seems enormous. I they, they, I think they've been on that train for like a day or two. I,
0: they were overnight on that train. How far did they go?
1: Yeah. So, you know? it, yeah, it, how, how fast is the train going? Let's say conservatively 20 miles per hour. You know, so <laughs> it's like 100 miles across, right? Like
0: Maybe it just slows to a crawl when to, they're
1: sleeping. Right. To, <laughs> it's <like> the train. <laughs> the Westworld is 200 miles across uh, a diameter, you know, that's nuts.
0: I think – I didn't see the interview but someone was telling me that uh, – like I I need to look up the exact quote. Uh, so please forgive me for paraphrasing. But Katie Rich, friend of the podcast, she and I have had a lot of conversations about the whole Mars thing, which as you know, I'm not enamored of. And I believe she said that Jonathan Nolan gave me an interview where someone was like, where is Westworld? He's like, the West is a really big place. Like it's in the West. There's a lot of undiscovered, like unpopulated land in the West. Mm, mm. Uh, like, I don't know if he definitely said it wasn't on Mars. I don't think it's on Mars. Uh, but, you know, I think Westworld is freaking enormous, yeah. is what it is. <laughs> so
1: people people in the chat room are firstly saying trains could go 40 miles per hour. So it's probably even uh, faster than that, what I said. Uh, Adam Barnum in the chat room says the train could have been going in circles, perhaps. Uh, Matthew Coleman says Dave has a Star Trek holodeck te- uh, teaching nothing. Uh, I don't think that applies. Basically, uh, if you're not familiar, in, in Star Trek The Next Generation, there's this thing called the holodeck where you can recreate entire worlds and you could theoretically travel miles. But basically what the holodeck does is it kind of builds the world you know, as you're walking through it. Do you know what I'm saying? But this is clearly a physical location. So.
0: Yeah, this is yeah. not a holodeck. Um, yeah. The... Oh, I just want to take this moment to – we get a lot of people asking us who maybe don't follow us on Twitter or what have you, uh, shudder to think. Who doesn't follow us on Twitter? But if you're listening to this and you don't follow us on Twitter and you're curious how you can listen to the show live because a lot of people ask us and I don't think we necessarily ever say on air, uh, (laughs) you have to follow us on Twitter because we tweet out the link like minutes before we start broadcasting. We usually try to announce during the day a ballpark time period and uh, that's how you can participate and sort of be in the chat room. Uh, when we're recording. We can't send the link out in advance because it like populates right in the moment. So you just have to watch that spot on Twitter on Monday nights usually. So
1: Yeah. Uh, So yeah, follow us. Uh, Joanna's at Joe Wrote This. I'm at Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen SKY. And we'll tweet out links about when uh, when we broadcast. I should also say every week, Joanna, we get inundated with (laughs) tweets saying, when is the podcast going live? And I'm pretty sure that for the last... Uh, you know, six episodes. It has gone live on Monday night or Tuesday morning. Uh, I don't think there's any exceptions to that. So
0: there is you spoil them because one Monday we recorded one early Monday morning. Remember?
1: Oh, right. And right, right. and
0: so they had it Monday morning. So they're like, "Where's that crack man? I need it." <laughs> you gave it to me early ones. Yeah. So
1: it will be up by Tuesday night at the latest every week. But uh, usually Monday nights is when it goes up. So uh, for those who are curious about the scheduling, uh, just know that that's when it's coming out. Uh, not that we don't love your tweets asking us every week when it's coming out, but uh, yes, it comes out Monday night usually, sometimes Tuesdays. Okay, on with the episode. So those those two plot lines are fairly self-contained. Let's dive into the Bernard and Charlotte and Teresa stuff this week. This episode opens with Bernard waking up from a dream, uh, and then he's interacting with his son Charlie, who, by the way, I'm pretty sure was designed in production to be as adorable as humanly possible there with his <laughs> stuffed animal and the bandage on his head. Uh, and clearly not doing very well. I, I, I think it's possible that we might have witnessed Charlie dying in the opening scene, right? Because uh, something happens. He, he kind of passes out and then we don't know what happens afterwards.
0: Until my latest mystery theory, which I floated by you but I'm not ready to unveil to the public, I 1,000% believe Charlie died in that scene. Yeah. Now I'm not so sure. But we'll find out.
1: Uh, what, what, You mean – Last night you thought he died in that scene, but now you're not so sure because maybe Charlie is still alive somehow? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, anyway. Uh, So then Bernard is uh, questioning Hector, uh, and we see – this this I thought was super cool because this is a a concept that we saw in episode one where the hosts are not designed to recognize certain things. So you actually see Hector's dialogue on a screen – And anything that doesn't come from Westworld is kind of grayed out so that he – Hector theoretically doesn't understand it. So he's talking about a blacklisted exchange where uh, I think Hector says –
0: Something about a car like like –
1: Yeah. uh, Quote, he said he wanted to cut off a piece of me to take home in his carry-on that he wanted to mount it on the hood of his car for his friends to see. And when you see the screen, car and carry-on are grayed out because there's no way Hector should know what those things mean. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then Bernard shows him photos of (laughs) modern day stuff and uh, we see that Hector is trained to not recognize those things. Uh, he can't see them. Very much like Dolores says, I think, in episode one, when she sees a photo of Times Square, that doesn't look like anything to me. Uh, <laughs> and so we see that come back again multiple times this episode. Really, they really hammer home <laughs> that idea that the hosts can't see things that they're, they're not meant to. Uh, so then uh, we have a scene where Charlotte, the uh, board member representative, calls Teresa up to her room. Uh, and Hector's there. So kinda weird. Uh Bernard was just servicing Hector and now Hector is quote unquote servicing Charlotte. Uh so I guess board member reps can just loan out robots whenever they want. Like they, they just get privileges. It's a perk, uh, I guess. Yeah, I guess. But then Hector but then doesn't Hector have storylines in the park that he's supposed to be <laughs> fulfilling, you know? He's supposed to be advancing along? Uh, is he just I guess he's just out for the duration and the storylines
0: Maybe yeah maybe Armistice gets To be like the head of the gang while he's gone or something yeah, Like that
1: yeah so then uh, Charlotte lectures Teresa on how vital uh, The IP in the park Is
0: wait someone just asked me Chiswick Offsmith, What a classy name in the chat room Just asked like why Why Charlotte was naked when she answered the door and this is something actually I got Into on Twitter today I feel very strongly that the scene – the scene like sort of seemed off to a lot of people. I know you and Devendra uh, on your Periscope chat talked about how you weren't sure if Tessa Thompson was like quite right for this role maybe. I don't want to put words in your mouth but – Yeah, no, no. That's right. That's
1: right. I felt as though – Tessa Thompson who, by the way, is an insanely talented actor. Such a good actress. Really really a big fan of her but I felt like she is very miscast because this is a scene where – Uh, Someone's basically doing a total power move Showing someone your genitals If you show someone your genitals And you expect no repercussions That is a power move You know?
0: And that's what I was gonna say. So I feel like it's so this is a power move and this is something that like I feel like would seem more normal to us if it were an older white dude or a white dude of any kind, like answering the door naked, having just like boned a sex bot and then like wolf's down. She like sits down the the, the way the way the moment I felt like they were trying so hard to flip gender roles is she sits on the couch, her her knees are like wide apart as she's just like chowing down on food and you just like Never see a like a a business lady do that in a film or television, and I was like, okay, they're going for like a a pig businessman sort of role, but they've got you know the beautiful, elegant Tessa Thompson here. Um, and the other thing I will say, like, I I don't know, I don't know if I agree with you or not, if she's miscast or if we're if both of us are sort of chafing against um, like I, seeing someone we don't expect in a role. Well, do you know? I, I
1: think this scene would have. Been a lot better if the uh, roles were reversed. You know that it's an older woman. Uh, like putting aside the race, like if it's an older woman who's kind of showing her power off, like answering the door, glistening with <laughs> sex bought fluids on her. Yeah. Uh, if you know she answers the door and then you know, you know, and like Tessa Thompson is uh, the younger person who's trying to impress them because Tessa Thompson is thirty three years old and. It is very difficult to be on a board or a board member representative if you are th- thirty three years old.
0: Yeah, just- we'll get well. I I will agree with you that she seems young to be on the board. Uh, I will agree with that, and we'll probably talk about that more in the future. But uh, I think that I, you, know, I mean, <laughs> you you have worked in the tech world. I live near Silicon Valley. I feel like we see all the time these like young brash assholes um, just power like alphaing older people who work below them right
1: it's true it's true.
0: I, I think we see this all the time and so i think that's what they're going for whether or not they like stuck the landing i don't know i really admire that they do that they, that they cast this young um non-white woman in this role i think it's pretty cool um and as a veronica mars fan this is this is the modern role that's closest to what Tessa Thompson did on Veronica Mars season two. So I'm getting I'm getting some welcome flashbacks to that. But um, I I think that's what they're going for. Yeah. A lot of people I think were like weirded out by the scene, but I think that's what they were. I going. think
1: you're right. I think you're right. And uh, maybe it just didn't work for me. And I don't know if that says anything about my perception of the world. Uh, but you're right. Maybe uh, Tessa Thompson's character Charlotte founded the future Snapchat. You know, And that's why she's on the board uh, <laughs> right. or she's a board representative is she, – she's incredibly accomplished and can just order people around. Uh, but yeah, it, it, I think you're right that that's what they're going for, this kind of gender role reversal. Uh, and maybe it worked for some people. It didn't quite work for me because it just felt a little bit on the edge of too implausible for me. But we'll probably get a lot of emails to decodingwestworld at gmail.com <laughs> saying, hey, this happens – at my office all the time. Um so that's cool. The,
0: the other thing I want to say like while we're on the subject of uh, you know me being I don't know too liberal or whatever. Um the a lot of people have been wondering this week if Charlotte is a host um because Ford later says sort of the exact phrase that she said to Teresa about a blood sacrifice uh, But the creators uh, Said in, in an Entertainment Weekly interview That it's actually like Hector on the bed was recording Teresa Though viewers would have no way of knowing this Hector was recording the conversation That's how Ford knew what she said Like the, like he's the spy There uh, Not not uh, Charlotte I don't want Charlotte to be a host For a number of narrative reasons But one of the really truly one of them Is the fact that 2 of our 3 main African American characters on this show are hosts now who are like subject to Ford's whims. I don't want all 3 to be. Um so I just don't think that's a great look personally. But you do
1: you do point out something that is quite dumb in this episode which is that they have this incredibly confidential conversation in the presence of a host who we've already seen are capable of recording everything they see and do. Yeah. Right? yeah. So why would you why would you do I mean I've started taping my webcam when I'm not using it. You know, you have a freaking host who can record at the highest fidelity everything that's going on while you're talking about plans to overthrow leadership in the park. That's just dumb. Uh, Oh, it's so
0: dumb. We got a lecture – I mean I'm sure a lot of people in the wake of this election have gotten lectures about like working meals being hacked, higher security. I also have things covering all the cameras on all my devices. Like it's just – yeah, I agree with you. It's a dumb move.
1: Dumb move. Dumb Dumb move. move. So, okay. So uh, we already know from last week's episode that Teresa has been exfiltrating a bunch of data, right? That Bernard found out, hey, Teresa's exfiltrating all this data from Elsie. And uh, then I I think your interpretation of the scene was Charlotte is just telling Teresa, hey, uh, things are going badly. We need to... Put a stop to Ford even sooner than we thought we would and, like, you know, figure out a way to back up all this data before. I thought it was a little bit confusing just because the way it was presented last week made it seem like maybe Teresa wasn't the one behind all the data. Like, maybe she's being framed. Uh, and so it felt like a bunch of plot jumps in a very quick amount of time that Teresa has been responsible for all this when it feels like in this scene she's just being told for the first time. Uh, but. In your opinion, it all reads fine. Teresa's been
0: with Charlotte this whole time, right? I I think what I said to you is that – and once again, to go back to the sort of Silicon Valley thing – I think most people can relate to being chewed up by a boss and being told things they already know because they, like, fucked up something and then they get the lecture again about why something is important. And you're like, yeah, I know. I just, like, fucked up this one thing. I'm so sorry. It doesn't mean I forgot the whole reason why we're doing this. Um, On the other hand, I did agree with you that it just felt – it felt like a lot of exposition, like sort of my complaint about what Logan had to say earlier in the season. And so I feel like she's almost, like, Bond villain monologuing or whatever so that we can, like, get the whole plot – And understand it completely here in the audience. It doesn't seem completely organic to have her tell someone who's been in cahoots with her this whole time, here's why we're doing this. But, uh, like, that's that's my hand-wavy explanation is, like, you know, just like someone – would the yeah, b- be asshole my- boss and answer the door naked and make you so uncomfortable, uh, they would also just sort of like dress you down by by making you repeat again something you already know about why this is important.
1: Right, yeah. I think that is a pretty charitable interpretation. I think okay, so. So you know, to 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 clarify, right, Joanna is just saying that I think that it, it, Teresa's dialogue makes sense in this, or, or I should say, Charlotte's dialogue makes sense. In the sense of, uh, like, why would Charlotte be telling Teresa all this stuff that Teresa theoretically already knows? It's because in workplace dynamics, bosses often do that anyway, right? Whereas for me, it read as though maybe she's telling Teresa for the first time, in which case – it it felt like she was telling Teresa for the first time. Even though, uh, based on what we learned last episode or the episode before, with Teresa already getting all this data out of the park – that doesn't make any sense. So your explanation probably makes the most sense in this case. So I defer to you once, once more. But uh, I don't know if you can tell. This whole scene just didn't work for me really. Yeah. So, yeah. I hear you. All right. Uh, so what else happens uh, in this episode? Uh, ch- basically, in in the first of two times, uh, Sh- Charlotte tells Teresa that there's going to be a blood sacrifice required in order to dethrone Ford. Right. So they have this demo – where they have this tech uh, who you know tries to who hurts Clementine in a really brutal fashion, and then they restart the program, and then Clementine, surprise, surprise, murders Asian Tech, who we find out you know we find out is a host. Right. I thought this scene was great. Yeah, uh, very thrilling and, and done with. Uh, you know, just a, a couple actors in a glass room, you know, and you, you see how it plays out. You see them freeze and the special effects. Everything about it looks great. I think my one thing that I'm not super happy with uh, the scene is that later Bernard says to uh, Teresa, I could have spotted all the problems with, you know, I spotted all the problems with human intervention in the code. I can't imagine what Ford must think, et cetera. Uh, I wish... We had been able to also make that call somehow, but for us, the viewer, we have no idea what Bernard is talking about, right? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it didn't. that didn't bother you, I assume. No. But uh, great scene. I love the fact that they conceal that the uh, Asian dude is a tech, you know, when right. he's, when they tell him to freeze, like, you find out that he's a tech. That's just an awesome reversal, you know? So after this... Uh, Bernard confronts Teresa, as I already mentioned, and uh, whisks her away to uh, this corner of the park. And what is the reason why he's taking her there again, by the way, Jonna? Do you remember? Well, he
0: says, Ford's got something weird going on here, like unregistered bots. You got to see it. Uh, but we find out later that Ford like made him say that to take her there.
1: Yeah. Uh, so they... Uh, they go into this room, and then uh, Bernard says, again, re-explains that uh, hosts are not meant to see, or hosts don't see what they're not meant to see. Before he asks the question, "What door?" which is uh, the second major, you know, door-related reveal that HBO has had this year, uh, <laughs> and you know, at that moment, I think everyone realizes that Bernard is a host, right? Uh, what did you think of how they did that reveal? You know, I was talking with Devendra, my my uh, colleague, last night, and he he said that that was a rather ineffective way to make the reveal. Like you could, ah! when you say what door, you could just you could that gives the whole game away. Why not save it for later? Because she has that scene later where she realizes it. You know, why why would you give the whole ball game away that early? What no, do you think I of
0: loved that? it. I loved it. I thought it was perfect. Like it's a weird horror movie trope um, that. They're in this, like, creaky old house. They've got a lantern, for fuck's sake. Uh, and then the camera just, like, if you watch it again, if you haven't watched it multiple times already, the door is not there when he walks in. And then the camera swings away onto him. And then it swings back. And it all looks like one shot to me. It might have been, like, digitally uh, whatever. But I kind of feel like they rolled one wall of the set away and rolled another one back in and it had a door because then they swung it back like the door was there. And – uh I don't know. I thought it was a really, really thrilling moment. Not just because I'm right, but...
1: Um, well, I think... He- here's the thing. You know. A lot of people were predicting... Yeah. ...that Bernard would be a host. But, Joanna, it's not that you were right. It's the way you were right. <laughs> you know, which is that you, for weeks, have been saying, hey, the fact that the hosts can't see things they're not meant to see is going to become a huge factor. You've been predicting that. So it's not just that you were right. It's that the way you were right was also correct, right? That... that Bernard couldn't see what was happening and that might explain other aspects like, you know, your your prediction, another one of your theories is that Bernard is Arnold and that when uh, Ford showed him the photo of himself and, and Arnold earlier, like maybe Bernard himself was in that photo and he just couldn't see it, right? And so now with this episode, it really tees up that possibility even more.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, someone Someone in the chat room, Third Illusion, says the door was for us, the Bernard diagram was for her. And I really like that. Like, we're all sort of processing whether or not you predicted it. And the feedback that I've heard from from viewers and listeners is that, like, even though so many people predicted that Bernard was a robot or a host, if you will know, um, that it was still a really satisfying reveal. Uh, and so I think you're kind of processing – the door thing and sort of dealing with the fact that bernard's a host and then like really not that long after teresa has to process it and then ford is there basically twirling his mustache and then like there's a murder like it's just i thought it was excellently paced i agree i
1: agree with you completely and i think that one of the reasons it works so well is because this was not just a cheap reveal for reveal's sake right yeah it wasn't as though bernard just accidentally stumbled upon these documents that then reveal it, that he's a host, they used the reveal to tell you more about the characters, specifically Ford. You understand the depth of of his megalomania and his evil, right, through this scene. And that's what's great about the show is it wasn't just, hey, here's a reveal, Bernard's host. It's, hey, here's a reveal, Bernard's host. Now watch him be used by Ford to murder someone, and now you know more about Ford. And that's what I think is great About this episode, and I agree with you. I thought thought the what door is is a heartbreaking and troubling, you know, scene and and a quote that will live in infamy. I think. Right, uh, I've been seeing What Door quoted a lot.
0: Yeah, What Door, and it doesn't look like anything to me. Both quoted a lot today. Yeah. Scott Scott Weber also in the chat room says, uh, I thought it was great the way it was all revealed. He's like, I thought it was great because it didn't phase her at all, didn't phase Teresa at all. It was a classic Hitchcock thing where we see the bomb, but the people on screen don't. And you and I had this conversation really recently. I can't remember if it, we were talking about Better Call Saul or what, where we were talking about suspense versus surprise. So you do, you get the suspense of you know Bernard's a robot and she's going Down into a basement. Uh, And he's not only a robot, he's a robot likely controlled by Ford. And then Ford shows, you know, it's like that suspense is there, uh, building and mounting. I I really think it was expertly done.
1: I agree. And also, the reveal makes a lot of sense now that you know the dynamics at play in the park. Meaning, it makes sense that Ford would have a Bernard in the park watching things and making sure everything's going okay because, uh, you know, then he can keep track of who's trying to take him down. Right? Yeah. So it's not just, hey, he just happens to have deployed all these bots everywhere. He has actual reason for doing so. I want to say, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher her name, but Sidsa Babbitt-Nudsen, well, right? pretty good. who yeah. plays Teresa, uh, she should win an Emmy for this episode.
0: She's so good.
1: Because think of everything that this character has to go through this episode, right? Uh, if you watch her during that last scene, first there is – she's looking through the papers, She's realizing that this person that she's had intimate relations with is a robot. She thought it was a person. She had sex with him multiple times. He's a robot. Then Ford comes in. She's taking it all in. She's very defiant at first. And then when she realizes what Ford is going to do to her, she she still – she then tries to get herself out of the situation and then realizes that she's about to die. And so fear takes over. And then tragedy when her former lover – she gets murdered by her former robot lover. And there's just a whole host uh, – no pun intended a – a, a myriad of emotions that she has to go through in five minutes. And yeah. she sells it all, in my opinion.
0: I, a couple of things. First of all, I would really like to name a band former robot lover. Um, <laughs> secondly, there's this you know rewatching. I think I watched this episode like probably uh, three times. Yeah,
1: me too. me too. There's a
0: scene like a third of the way through, or it, it's after she fires for uh, fires uh, Bernard. Right before he lures her to the cabin, and he's not mad that she's fired him, and he asks her if she's okay. And she's all tense and she looks at him and she just gives him this smile because like it seems so genuine. He's like, are you okay?" And she's like, yeah, thanks. I'm fine. You know, and personal
1: questions are an ingratiating scheme.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) it's just like heartbreaking because like this woman has her walls up. She's so tense. She's so freaked out. She had to like go have a conversation with her naked boss like this is not her day. And, you know, this this guy who she used to have this relationship with who she had to fire. Uh, set up in frame and fire, like, asks her if she's okay. And she's like, Yeah, I am. Thanks for asking. And then, like, you know, uh, an hour later, whatever, he murders her. So, yeah, this is a great episode of television, man. Really good.
1: Really excellent. Uh, a lot of people are saying how uh, Ford, uh, played by Anthony Hopkins, is going full Hannibal Lecter in that last scene. Totally agree. No rem- zero remorse on his yeah. face. He's just doing what he feels need to be done. Uh, And then it it is chilling. His performance is chilling this episode. A few other things I just want to point out about this last scene. Firstly, uh, I really like the visual symmetry or juxtaposition with uh, uh, Teresa's body at the end lying there on the ground. It ends on a shot of her – like one of her limbs in the shadow it casts. And uh, this show has done a lot to play around with imagery of – deactivated host or host in diagnostic mode um, who look otherwise like dead humans and then to see a uh, human become you know a, a corpse before your eyes uh, really kind of sets up well the the visual connection between a dead human and just a deactivated host—that that, that there's not that much separating them. You know what I mean? In terms of like the difference between human and host is not that big, and I think visually this last shot tries to tell that story. Uh, also, some people have speculated that you know the the way it's done, the way the murder is shot—you see in the foreground. Uh, the fabrication machine making a host, and then you see Teresa getting murdered in the background. Some people have speculated. Maybe Ford is creating a host version of Teresa in the back, right? I I don't know if that is true, but I think what is clear is that now that this scene has occurred and we know that Ford is that insane, any character in the park could be a host now, right?
0: And and I mean, honestly, that's so... You know, a lot of this, a lot of the stuff that I feel like I've mm, tried to figure out from the show has come from like this groupthink theorizing. Like I said in previous episodes, I never would have thought of the thirty-year time difference or William becoming the Man of Black when I watched those first four episodes by myself. But when I, but I, when I watched them, that first episode where Teddy, where they tried to sell you Teddy as a guest and then he turned out to be a host, uh, I was like, okay what we have to then suspect is that anyone could be any human could be a host because they're not going to do that. If they're not going to do it to you again, I that's, that was my thinking. So then I started to look for who might be a host and just like everyone else in the world, like I kind of settled on on Jeffrey Wright, not because his performance is robotic because it's not at all. He's very warm and lovely. And in fact, Jeffrey Wright said in an, a couple interviews last night that uh, he did not know his character was a host until after he shot the pilot, they didn't tell him until after episode one because they wanted his performance to not be robotic, and a lot of members of the cast didn't know for until they got the script for episode seven that he was a host so you know we had talked about this on the podcast before in terms of when after you interviewed Vincenzo Natali, who directed episode four was it yep. three um about how much the creators are keeping their players in the dark directors and cast members and stuff like that about the big reveals and whether that's effective and whether that's not and like we argued that maybe it wasn't with the director but i don't know maybe it was with jeffrey wright they they sort of tricked him into creating as lifelike a character as possible and then they were just like cool keep going with that you know um so you know that's interesting to me i'm so sorry i feel like i wandered off path um but but i do want to say that I agree with you that, that anyone could be a host. In fact, a lot of people now suspect that like everyone who works at Delos is a host um, and like Teresa was the only human because the is something like sometimes they send someone like you to test me. Uh, and so that, <laughs> some people are thinking that everyone's a host. I don't know that I like I don't know that I want to believe that Elsie is a host. I could buy Stubbs being a host. Uh, but I, I can't buy Elsie being a host. Not yet. We'll see. Worth um, noting
1: is we don't see any of Elsie this episode and we do see Stubbs. So, we do see Stubbs. So it kind of indica- still, it implies that Stubbs is not the person that grabbed Elsie in that episode.
0: I don't know. I still think he has her stash somewhere. He has
1: her stash in some bunker yeah. somewhere. Yes. Maybe. Yeah,
0: A bunker where there's no cell phone reception so you can't figure out where she is. Um... But, yeah, we should mention that L- there was this whole, like, dicey, like, Elsie's on vacation or, like, whatever um, <laughs> yeah. plotline this week. But, yeah, so to to reverse to what you originally said before I rambled off topic, which is um, I want that to be a host version of Teresa on the printer only because I love Sid Zababit Newton so much and I don't want her to leave the show. So I would love for her to come back as a host. It also sort of um, – is the cleanest way to cover a murder right and then you would have a mole um there there might be some indications that that is not the case but but we'll see uh and if you are missing her if she does not return to the show and you are missing her i cannot recommend the series borgen highly enough which is a swedish uh, political drama where she is the prime minister and she's fantastic in it so
1: i think this episode does leave open a few questions For instance, uh, does this then mean that Ford murdered Arnold versus Arnold killed himself, right? If Ford is capable of murdering people and replacing them with hosts, uh, did Ford murder Arnold? He has that evil in him. Um, Could he have done that? I don't don't think we have any indication either way. But it just shows now he's capable of that. I think
0: it certainly could have. He's definitely even more of an unreliable narrator than we already thought he was. So any story that he told about Arnold – we're not sure we can believe. Um, I will say, you know, my theory that when we finally see Arnold, he's going to look like Jeffrey Wright, uh, and that we've already seen flashbacks to Arnold um, played by Jeffrey Wright in the show, um, I-, I think is slightly reinforced in this scene because we see the schematics for the Dolores robot. We see Dolores' name at the bottom. Yeah. But when we see the schematics for Bernard, we don't see it's cut off. You don't see the name at the bottom. So I w- I want to say it says Arnold on the bottom of that piece of paper, but you know, who knows? We'll hmm. see. Um,
1: I thought we did see his name, but maybe I just nope. invented yeah. it in my head. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. You,
0: you saw the door where there was a door, but um, <laughs> the other thing I want to say is like if you know to to roll on now to this next theory, right? Like if Bernard is a facsimile of Arnold that Ford has created, it is so insidious uh, for because it's obvious that these two creative partners clashed in their idea of what the park should be. And it's obvious that Ford was that, – that Arnold is working in opposition to Ford about what the park should be. Whether – I mean it seems like Arnold was trying to destroy the park and Ford who wants to be the god of his little universe, like nothing was more important than, than protecting his universe. So yeah, that gives him motivation to kill Arnold I think. Yes. So it's possible that he did. But uh, – even creepier than that is if he killed Arnold and then made a robot version of him who would be forever compliant, forever loyal. Um he has the line where he says, um, he's they're free here, under my control. That's what he says about the robots. And it's just like and then it cuts to Bernard looking baffled and upset. And it's so chilling. Um I You know, we, we have to give, as you already did, Anthony Hopkins credit for his performance in that scene and and Jeffrey Wright. I mean, you couldn't have picked three, three finer players for this really, really fantastic scene. It so. was
1: really well done. Yeah, agreed completely. Uh, the, another question that this episode raises is also when Bernard is talking to his wife in a video call earlier, what uh, what's going on there, Joanna? What do you think? I I, I think – Your theorizing still states that what we're seeing of Bernard scenes could also be Arnold scenes, right? Right. That Bernard and Arnold are the same person and that uh, when we see a scene with Bernard interacting with his wife, for instance, that could just be a flashback to Arnold interacting with his wife, right? Like his real-life wife. Uh, And when we see a flashback to Bernard – And his child dying, that could be Arnold and his child dying and that maybe Bernard has similar memories of a child dying as well. Right. Uh, So –
0: What we know about Arnold is that um, Ford said – Ford, the unreliable narrator, said that Arnold's life was marked by personal tragedy, which to me sounded – like the death of a child but that's that's definitely extrapolating from a from a vaguer sentence um the only one error i'll have to go double check but someone in the chat room earlier tonight was saying that there's a delos logo when in that scene with gina torres on the like the skype (laughs) or whatever that there's a delos logo on on the thing yeah uh I'll have to go double check that because I, I haven't watched – to look for that. and But if our theory is that Delos didn't come along until later in the park, I don't know if that's an inconsistency. If that blows my entire theory out of the water, I don't know. I'll have to go check. Well, um, it, could, it
1: could just be a hologram of Gina Taurus. You know, I, I did comment at the time that that scene felt pretty – that the delivery and the dialogue right. felt pretty wooden in that scene. So right. it could just be a loop that Bernard needs to go on, for instance. Yeah. Right?
0: It could be. Um. Yeah, absolutely. It could be a loop that he's on to sort of reinforce his humanity. All these memories that he have has of Charlie in the hospital are either sort of implanted backstory or downloaded from Arnold's own experience. Uh, we will have to stay tuned to find out. But I, I really, I feel like so certain that we're going to see a third figure in that photo and that figure is going to be in that Arnold photo and that figure is going to be Jeffrey Wright.
1: So, I mean, I think that, uh, the show has already been playing with perspective in the sense that we've already kind of seen things from Bernard's perspective. Example last week when Anthony Hopkins shows up out of nowhere. Right. It's, it's like we saw that scene from Bernard's perspective. So given that we've already, the door, the show has opened the door on that already. (laughs) And I think it's very possible that you could be right there. Also, I don't think I can ever win any money betting against you ever again. I, you know, And we should, we should be clear here. Again, it's not just that Joanna got the uh, Bernard as a host thing right because a lot of people were guessing that. It's the way that she got it right. And uh, it's that, hey, it, it, has, it hinges on Bernard not being able to see certain things. And I just was so ashamed you know, after no. that I had doubted you <laughs> at no. all. You know, oh, I, I was like all the election pundits this week who doubted that Trump could win. I felt like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I doubted that Joanna could get this right. Oh um, gosh, that
0: might be like Kellyanne Conway or something like that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. That's awful. OK.
1: <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't doubt any of your theories anymore. Or, or No, that's not even true. I doubt plenty of your theories, <laughs> but I doubt them slower now. Okay. So there you go.
0: I'll just say, like I said before, I promise that I don't i've i have been burned before i burned this year on a game of thrones theory i thought i felt really really sure about so i've been wrong i'm a little more hesitant these days to sort of really go down you know and, and when we first started talking about the multiple timeline theory at the start of the season i was not sure about it um so i i think i was like a little hesitant about it and then i got on board
1: with it so um i think yeah. we're, we're now certain that the multiple timeline theory is correct Right. Uh, you and I are fairly confident.
0: I feel part. very. I feel pretty certain.
1: Yeah, yeah, I do. And and it, to compare your confidence level between that and Bernard being Arnold, what do you think?
0: Uh, okay. So if you put my like multiple timeline or time period, sorry, timeline haters. Um, if you put that at like ninety-five percent, then I would put my Bernard is Arnold thing at like eighty, seventy-five, or eighty percent. Sure. Yeah. Um. Mm -mm. Yeah, thereabouts. Oh, the other thing I want to say is we got a lot of questions, and we actually talked about it on air, uh, about the way that Jeffrey Wright wears his glasses. Uh, An intrepid reporter at Vulture asked Jeffrey Wright about his glasses, and he gave the answer that a lot of our listeners gave, which is like, uh, dude, if you're older, that's how you wear readers. That's how you wear reading glasses (laughs) down on your nose.
1: All right. Well, (laughs) I'm glad we aren't the only people bothered by it. So.
0: Jeffrey Wright was like, um, if, he's like, if you're asking that question, you must be young because <laughs> that's how old people wear glasses. So, yeah.
1: Um, so, yeah. let's talk about the title of the episode, Trump Loy, uh, which is my best attempt at uh, reproducing it. Trump Loy is an art technique that uses realistic imagery to create the optical illusion that the depicted objects exist in three dimensions. Uh, and then we had a listener write in. Uh, Chris writes in uh, that uh, from from the Wikipedia page uh, in the history and painting section, quote a version of an oft told ancient Greek story concerns a contest between two renowned painters. Zeuxis, born around 464 BC, produced a still life painting so convincing that birds flew down to peck at the painted grapes. A rival, Parrhasius, asked Zeuxis to judge one of his paintings that was behind a pair of tattered curtains in his study. Parhasius asked Zeuxix to pull back the curtains, but when Zeuxix tried, he could not, as the curtains were included in Parhasius' painting, making Parhasius the winner. End quote. Uh, so then uh, Chris goes on to say, I believe a version of this happened tonight with the Bernard reveal in the sense that Teresa and Charlotte thought they were providing a convincing reality, proving the dangers of the park and thereby emasculating the great Ford. But Ford proved his convincing reality was the greater achievement, showing that he knew every single aspect of the park to a degree they weren't even prepared for, end quote. Uh, So I thought that was a great explanation of what the title might mean. Do you, uh, do you feel like that's pretty pretty accurate? I think that, you know, Trump lay at a very surface level, at least, refers to Bernard being uh, a, uh, a host, even though we didn't think he was right.
0: You're right, or uh, Trompe-Loy, we should say, or I don't, I don't think the email said that. Um, literally means like to deceive the eye, loy being I um, in French uh, or luzio. Anyway, um, the. <laughs> <laughs> the the door appearing and disappearing also like that's a that's a very trumploy moment i thought as well but yeah like fools the eye um I, I you know we've been talking about how the episode titles kind of tend to uh, belong to one character or another you know the original the stray the adversary which i would say is ford but you know whatever or it could be Charlotte, it could be Teresa or whoever you want it to be. Uh yeah, then Tromple is is Bernard. Who might be Arnold? Mm. Dun, dun dun Indeed.
1: Uh also yeah. Ford quotes what dreams may come in this episode, which is from Shakespeare, specifically Hamlet, the to be or not to be speech, uh, where he says, quote, to die, to sleep, to sleep perchance to dream. Aye, there's the rub, for in that sleep of death. What dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil must. You don't give us think he us. was
0: making reference to the Robin Williams movie? I, I think he's a secret Robin Williams fan.
1: Yeah, no, I mean it, he could very well be talking about the the Robin Williams film, "What Dreams May Come." Um, but that was a pretty rough movie. Uh, we'll just say that the the nineteen ninety eight film directed by Vincent Ward. Uh, have you seen that movie, Jana? Yeah. Yeah, I, I have seen that movie. I actually read the book. As well as Saw the Film, because it's based off of, a, I think, a Richard Matheson novel. Uh, and, yeah, the movie is not as good as the book. <laughs> Just put that okay. out there. Uh, anyway. Um, Any yeah. other theories or questions <laughs> that you feel this episode sets up?
0: Um, you know, I think the biggest questions we have are what's next for Maeve? Um, what ramifications are there for Ford? If Teresa does stay dead, like with the board, does the board just like if he doesn't replace her with a robot, does the board just go, Oh, you got us again, Ford. We killed another one of our envoys. Good oh. We always just try to be a few steps ahead, but you beat us every time. Um, you know, so yeah, I wanna know you know, and, and Charlotte says in her scene where she's smoking and cramming crackers in her mouth, she says, uh, you know, like if you her i think it's that scene where she says something like if you think i'm a nightmare wait till you meet the rest of the board or like before the whole the before the whole board descends so i don't know if we're going to see like the entire board of someone i was talking to uh was comparing them to evil core from Mr. Robot uh or i would say Wolfram from an heart from angel like you know like an evil board of suits is coming are the are mave and her robot cohort is going to kill them all uh in the finale that might be fun i don't know it's all speculation at this point um where do you think william and dolores are going
1: um yeah i i don't know it feels like another one of those uh maze-esque uh, MacGuffins. Mm. uh if i had to guess i would say they're headed towards a revelation uh regarding the limits of the park you know, because they do feel like they're at the outer edges, having traveled uh, 300 miles overnight <laughs> to get to, you know, that there may be that something's going to happen where they, they find the edge of the park and, and there's some kind of revelation about the limits of the park. I'm just totally taking a stab in the dark here. So, but uh, I am very curious how this whole Man in Black William reveal is going to happen if it does happen uh, and if it is in fact true. So,
0: right. And where's Elsie? And why couldn't Bernard have killed Sizemore instead of Teresa? (laughs) Good
1: questions. (laughs) Good questions. Good questions. All right. Well, I think with that, uh, we are going to wrap it up uh, this week for Decoding Westworld. A lot of excitement ahead. Uh, Stay tuned to this space at decodingwestworld.com. You can also email us at decodingwestworld.gmail.com. When I say a lot of excitement, what I mean is potential exciting Westworld-related guests appear on the show I yes. mean potential new podcast projects yes. that Joanna and I are discussing so oh my gosh uh, something else is- uh, we, we, so we, we, we may have some excitement for you guys ahead. Um, so yeah stay tuned to this space and thanks for listening to this week's episode Joanna you want to tell people where they can find more of your work on the internet this week
0: uh, you can find me at Joe wrote this on Twitter uh, still being angry about the election you can find me at VanityFair.com uh, being less angry about the election <laughs> And uh, you can, I'm also going to be talking about Westworld over on Storm of Spoilers this week. That's our rotating topic this week. So if you haven't heard me talk enough about Westworld, uh, you know, tune into Storm of Spoilers, uh, the podcast that I do on Wednesdays.
1: Find me at Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen S K Y. Find all my other stuff at Dave Chen.me. Thanks for listening to Decoding Westworld. We'll see you guys next week.
0: Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too.